Welcome to Geocache Adventures with me, Shadow Dragon One, where I explore the world of geocaching. If you like the podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcast or the Geocache Adventures Facebook page, or share it with somebody that you think would enjoy it. Word of mouth is a great way to spread the podcast. You can also join Geocache Adventures on Buy Me a Coffee. Just follow Geo Adventures. That's one word: G E O Adventures on Buy Me a Coffee and get behind the scenes on every episode or become a member to unlock other exclusive content. Have you ever wondered what it's like to geocache over in Great Britain? Well, join me this episode as I talk with Chris from the Geocaching Association of Great Britain to find out what their association is about and what it's like to geocache over there. Hi, everybody. Amy, Shadow Dragon One here. And with me today is Chris. Chris is joining us from Great Britain. You are part of the Geocaching Association of Great Britain, or GAGB. Thank you so much for joining me today. No, you're very welcome. First of all, I always like to start off asking my guest, how did you get started geocaching? So can you tell us your story? I can indeed. Uh, Way back in 2009, uh, we had a family living next door. The husband was English and the, his wife was German and they had some kids as well. Um, and the wife's uh, brother came over to Germany and stayed with them for a while. And he was uh, a geocacher in Germany. And he said to me, you'll like this. Um, and he, he especially introduced me to puzzle caches. Okay. And that's what I've been doing pretty much ever since. Um, I, I, I started finding caches in, in the local area, but back in 2009, it didn't take me long before I pretty much found every geocache within a 20-mile radius. Um, and then, you know, things started um, taking off, um, and by about 2011, there were uh, you know, loads more geocaches. I didn't have to drive sort of 30 or 40 miles just to find one cache, you know? So. Okay. And you're still caching ever since. Uh, I've been caching ever since. I have my little niche is, is puzzles. So I uh, set puzzles and I solve puzzles. And I don't do many of the power trails or anything like that. I'm quite happy to sit at home on the laptop, solve a puzzle, set a puzzle, and, and then take it from there. I don't, I don't always set very, very difficult ones. I set a mixture of some that are fairly straightforward and some that are very, very difficult. In fact, I've got one now. I set in March and nobody's found it yet. Oh, so. and it's July. So it's it's been a few months. It has. So today you're going to talk with us about the Geocaching Association of Great Britain and tell us a little bit about what it's like to geocache in England. So let's start with the association. Um, okay, the... You know, we all, we all know caching started um, out in Seattle in, in, in uh, 2000. Um, by 2003, it spread to Europe uh, and there were geocaches around. But because the situation in Europe and especially in the United Kingdom um, was a lot different to that in the United States. Um, in the United States, you've got vast areas of wilderness and, and huge amount of land where you're quite happy. You know, nobody's going to bother you if you go in the middle of a forest or up in a mountain or in one of the deserts and set the geocache. Nobody's going to bother you. The UK is a lot, lot smaller. Uh, in, in, in fact, uh, the UK fits about three times into the state of Texas. Uh, and the other, the other difference is um, uh, land in the US, as, as I understand it, some of it is just wilderness and nobody actually owns it. In the UK, Every piece of land is owned by someone. Okay. So, yeah, permissions become uh, far more of an issue in the UK than it probably does in the US or, or in any other large country like Australia or South Africa and places like that where I've cached, um, where the land doesn't really belong to anybody and you can put a geocache without worrying too much. Um, I know we'll get onto this later, but uh, a lot of the what you might call wilderness which is the mountains and the moors in the uk are all national parks and some national parks are quite happy to have geocaches 
maybe not all over and it depends on the situation with the local wildlife there so the GAGB was set up to help cashers in the UK uh, find a way to set caches we do have uh, a network of public rights of way all over the country that have been there since maybe the 12th century or something like that long before Columbus landed you know where oh, you wow. are um, and, and they're traditional and the UK reviewing team will allow a cash on a public right of way without getting permission, but pretty much anywhere else you need to get permission from the landowner. So that's the real big difference. The GAGB was set up in 2023. It's our 20th anniversary this year. I've only been a member of that for six years, and I've only been on the committee since uh, last December. Um, and part of my role is uh, I'll give you another acronym, G-L-A-D, Geocaching Landowner Database. Okay. So my role on that committee, and bear in mind we're all volunteers, we don't get paid for this. Um, we, we To cover expenses, we sell geocaching supplies uh, at the big events and the megas. Um, but, uh, I, mean, I mean, our annual turnover is only about £3,000 a year. You know, what's that? 3500 um, dollars a year um so we're all volunteers we do this and so i i talk to um national authorities um as an authority called natural england which uh maintains and runs um a lot of the um the national parks and areas of outstanding natural beauty and we also have uh things called sssis which is sites of special scientific interest and there again you probably won't be allowed to place a geocache on there. Um, all the counties, all the English counties have wildlife trusts. Um, some are in favour of geocaching, some aren't. I was a volunteer at Somerset Wildlife Trust, which is where I live. And um, I was their geocaching advisor for about five years. So requests to place geocaches on Somerset Wildlife Trust managed reserves all came to me. I knew the reserve managers and I could talk to them and say, I've got a request for this location. And they'd say, yes, I've got a location for that. And they, they'd say, uh, no, you can't have one there. And eventually we did a, a red, amber, green list. So a red reserve was no geocaching ever. Okay. Amber, reserve, amber reserve was at the discretion of the reserve manager. And a, a green reserve was one that I could give the cash a permission without going to the reserve manager. And that system worked quite well. And I'm now trying to set that up um, across the country with a lot of the other wildlife trusts. But it, it's geocaching is sometimes not high on their list of priorities. So it can take three months to answer one email sometimes. Right. Yeah. So as you said, your role is with the landowner database. Yeah. So I'm guessing you're kind of helping keep track of who owns what to be able to gain permission yeah, I mean, uh, the owners of these lands, um, there is a, a map of the UK <clears throat> I can use to check to see, excuse me a sec, who the owner of the land is. Um, and I can write to them on the geocache's behalf and say, I have a geocache who wants to put a geocache in this location uh, and give them the opportunity to say yes, no. Uh, some of them have outright bans, they say, the wildlife on that particular area is so delicate mm -hmm. they don't want any extra people there uh, and other times they say no that's absolutely fine you can put a geocache anywhere on this property you know so it, it does vary i'm in touch with we're not only the national authorities like i said there's one called natural england we have another national authority called the forestry commission and i'm in touch with a lot of those obviously at forests a very good place to put geocaches um but the, the National Parks, which is the, the mountainous type regions, uh, there are some geocaches up there, but they're few and far between. So, But I'm also okay. dealing with local councils, you know, the Parks Department. Um, geocaching in the UK used to be something that took place in the countryside. Um, with the advent of phone apps, when was that, 2015, 16 maybe? Um, sounds about right. Yeah, uh, there's a lot more uh, urban caching now, which I'm not fond of, but I understand people like it. Um, you know, I, I don't want to go and find a, 
a thumbnail-sized nano magnetic net <laughs> on a street sign somewhere. You know, I want to go for a nice walk in the country and find a, a reasonable-sized cache that I can. You know, I I still take swag with me. I still swap swag, but that is kind of fading a bit in the UK because of the the real big growth in urban caches. So, okay, you know, you can't get a TV in it. Never mind a. A plastic soldier or anything like that yeah that's that's true how did gagb get started there was um they're called the founders about eight of them had got together in in 2003 um and bear in mind there weren't that many caches in the uk at that time it was it really just only started and was was moving up um and they decided it would be a good idea because of the difference uh, between geocaching in the US and geocaching in the UK, it would be nice to have some sort of guidance for UK caches. And, and that's really how it started. It's gone through, I don't know how many members of the committee there's been since then. Um, currently, there are three members of the committee that have been on the committee for three or four years, and another four of us that have really only been on it fairly recently in the last year. Um, I mean, the other things, yeah, we publish a, um, a monthly newsletter, a quarterly magazine, um, and we basically act in the interests of UK geocachers, actors that go between between the caching community and the landowners, which is my role. Um, and, but we do outreach. I noticed um, one of the questions you were saying is, is about talking to local people. Um, only last month, I went to talk to a scout group um, down in Southampton, which is about an hour and a half drive for me, and explained to them all about geocaching, took them some samples of geocaches. This is what you might find, you know. Um, and, and they were quite interested. The, uh, the mums and dads were there as well, listening, as well as the scout leaders. And uh, I explained, I must have explained to four or five of them how to set up the geocaching phone app because... No, no, nobody had a GPSR. Uh, I still use a GPSR, so I I've got a phone as a backup. That's, uh... So you guys are doing a lot of fostering within the the geocaching community and the non-geocaching community. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, geocaching one hundred and one. I've done quite a few of those now, so it's uh, that's that's good fun getting people going. What area does your association covered are you guys kind of like localized to a certain part of the uk are you all over the uk uh, we're all over the uk so england scotland wales and northern ireland the province of northern ireland so not not the republic of ireland that it sounds like a lot of area to cover but at the same time you've already said you could fit the uk and texas three times so maybe it's not as as crazy an undertaking as it sounds yeah i mean you know i've got family in the u.s and, and some good friends and, and whereas i was with family a few years back they thought nothing of driving 50 miles to go for a meal in a restaurant in in the uk the, the equivalent would be driving five miles you know because everything is a lot smaller here you know our houses are a lot smaller um everything is a lot smaller there the farms are a lot smaller. Uh, you, you know, we just haven't got the space that you've got in the United States. So, it's I'm trying to wrap my head around just the different, you know, it's almost like a different concept. You know, trying to think of the space claim rise because it's just yeah. such a different area. Yeah. So you've talked a little bit about some of your outreach in the community what's some of the stuff you do within the geocaching community um uh, we um we, we've got a series of events that we hold really to try and gain membership um but we we try and get them all over the country I, i've done a couple in the southwest which is where i am and i know for a fact there's one going to happen in the northeast of england shortly um we call them roving events so we've got a a, a pack that we we take to an event and it's just a regular event. People will sit and eat or drink. Uh, and then whoever's running it from the GAGB um, will be there pushing for membership, basically. And it's to do that. So, But we also point out some of the other benefits. Becoming a GAGB member entitles you to 10% off all the 
geocaching supplies retail stores in the UK. You know, yeah. so there are some benefits to it. And and you you know you get access to the databases and things like that you want. We've we've got apart from the we're only a, a six man committee at the moment. There should be a couple more. Um, but we've got a network of what we call friends and representatives all over the country. Um, and we can, you know, email them and say, hey, listen, you know that town that's 20 miles up the road, can you go and talk to the local council up there? They want to hold a geocaching 101 thing in one of the local parks. You know, they want us to help out. So, you know, we, we've, there are people all over the country, in, including right in the far north of Scotland and over in Northern Ireland, which is both of which are quite a long way from where I am. So I'm quite happy to take on anything in the south of the country. But uh, um, yes, Scotland for me, it's a 400 mile drive now in a big state. Oh, Missouri. You're in Missouri. Missouri, yeah. Yeah. So I think Missouri is just slightly smaller than the UK. Okay. Um, So, you know, what's a 400 mile drive for you? Uh, That's a long, long way in the UK. That's That's a drive. So how many hours is that? drive for you roughly um I, I i manchester is for me about 250 miles and that's a five-hour drive okay be, or just slightly less than five hours um scotland for me would be a good eight or nine hours okay i mean the roads aren't bad the, the freeways or motorways as we call them you know they're, they're not right. bad get to, yeah one, one thing people don't appreciate that <laughs> Is that Scotland appears to be a small country tacked on on the top of England, but actually, actually Scotland is just about as big as England. So, if it, if it took me you know, the the big cities in Scotland are in the south. So if it took me eight hours maybe to get to Glasgow, it's going to be another seven hours before I get right up to the the very top of Scotland. So it's uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah that that gives me some perspective as a as I um in Missouri from. So St. Louis is about as far east as yeah. you can be. And then Kansas City is about as far west as you can be. And that's a little over four hours straight across. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, north and south is a bit longer. It's a bit taller, but yeah. Yeah, I've, I've not been to Missouri. The closest I've been to Missouri is Nashville. So I've been Okay. Nashville. I'm, I'm guessing you mean Nashville, Tennessee. That's the one. Okay, yeah, because I actually used to live in Nashville, Indiana for a while, so I figured that probably wasn't the same Nashville you meant, but yeah, that's, we like to reuse the names of towns across the country. (laughs) I I think we've all heard the story over here that when uh, Matt Matt Greening developed The Simpsons, uh, he picked the most popular U.S. town name. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, most people say Springfield, and in my area, we think Springfield, Missouri, but there's Springfield, Illinois. There's, it's just, yeah, yeah, we like to reuse town names. And then we like, you know, a lot of the names get pulled from, you know, there's German names and French names and all that. So we, we don't have anything original. We just, (laughs) yeah. And of course, you know, Every other town apart from Springfield is named either Columbus or Columbia or something along those lines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, let's let's circle back because you've talked some about the your work with other organizations uh, are you guys normally contacted by outside organizations to do <clears throat> geocaching events or do you approach them no it works both ways we get contacts that come in on our email just but just like you did um came in on the email and, and said hey listen guys um what we'd like to do is this can you help us out um and if it's in my part of the uk i'll happily drive an hour or so to help out um if it's not, there are there are two of us living in the southwest on the committee. Um, most of the other committee members, apart from one way out on the east coast, are in what we call the Midlands, which is the Birmingham area of the UK. Have you ever been to the UK? No, I haven't. It's on my bucket list, but you need to come over sometime. The, um, so they're they're all about 150 miles north of me. Um, so they would cover their area, and then we've got, like I said, the other uh, the other guys, the reps and the friends, 
um, that that cover um, would cover anywhere if we ask them to. Sometimes it's a struggle to get somebody to go. You know, people have got to go to work and they don't really want to drive forty or fifty miles. I mean, I'm retired, so I'm you know it's it's a lot easier for me than it's for some of the other guys. Okay. So it does, it does work both ways. We we get local authorities, councils contacting us. I mean, sometimes we get landowner disputes as well that come through, which I have to sort out. You know, uh, a landowner will write into the GAGB email in and say, hey, listen, someone's put a geocache in my property and I don't want it there. It's scaring my livestock or for whatever reason. So then I have to find out which one it is. And obviously for somebody who's not a geocacher, trying to explain to them, can you give me the coordinates or can you give me what three words or at least something I can recognise where it is? Yeah. <laughs> but we get there in the end and I, I'll write to the cashier and say, hey, hey, listen, you need to talk to this farmer. Um, he, he wants your stuff removed. I mean, maybe if you go and find him and talk to him, maybe you'll suggest an alternative. And that's that's happened to be fairly recently um, with uh, one of the national organisations, the National Trust, had a... There's a park in the, in the Midlands... Uh, and the geocache had been there 17 years. Um, okay. And the the reserve manager wrote to us and said, hey, listen, we, we really need to get this one out of the way. Um, there are some new uh, deer in the park and the geocaches are wandering and they're upsetting the deer. Oh. But they offered two or three alternative locations in the park to move it to. So, you know, that was very, very good. And I, I, I put in touch, I found out who the cacher was Put them in touch with them, uh, and then basically backed off and let them two sort it out. So, okay, I had, a, I had a reviewer standing on on standby just in case it needed to be. It was further than you know a tenth of a mile from uh, the original, which it okay. was. Okay, do you find that in most cases you can reach some kind of compromise like that, shifting at locations? I, I think probably, yeah, 75% of the time there's a compromise. 25% okay. of the time, the landowner, and I have to say mostly farmers, sometimes householders in, in urban locations, will say, no, I don't want it there, it has to go. Uh, and then, you know, sadly, I have to go over the cash and say, you need to remove that. Um, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you a week to remove the, the container and, and archive it. Other than that, I'm going to have to get my... Tame reviewer to do it for you. So when I say tame reviewer, I'm very, very good friends with the reviewing team in the UK. So okay. Well, it sounds like from the work you all do, it you're very hands-on with with landowner relationships. It sounds like it's it's working out quite well. Yeah, it it does. It it, it does. Um let, let, let me um is there a chat screen on here? There is, isn't there? Let me let me find them. Um, I'm going offload just a touch. Did that come through? Yes. That is um that's what I work on. So okay, land agreements database. So it looks like it's a searchable database. Yep. So if people are trying to figure out if it's permitted or not they can just search by a region absolutely and landowner type okay and by agency as well yeah wow i mean that that is not all my own work that, that's that was my tool handed over from the the previous occupant of this position basically so a lot of work has got into this it has. I mean, it's over the course of the last 20 years, remember, so it's... Uh, right, but still, even just creating it is one thing and then maintaining it and updating it yep. over time. That's that's a lot of time and effort put into that. Yeah, like, you know, like I say, I'm, I'm, I'm retired. I don't... I, I do odd bits of part-time work, but most of the time I'm, I've got time to sit and work on that. And um, I've had, what, in the last six months, I've had five new agreements I've added to that. I've ad amended two or three of them with things like different points of contact. You know, um, one of the bor borough councils wrote and said, 
or the contact for geocaching for this used to be this person it's now this person different email address and all i do is amend the database as you know but uh, i've had five new agreements i've got you know as i said that some of the wildlife trusts are not quick to respond at times and I've, i'm waiting on about five different wildlife trusts to respond to what i'm trying to set up which is a, a red green amber system again so, you know i like that it works so where did you get the idea of the red green amber system to implement that uh, i mean it, in the uk it, it's that kind of traffic lights it's a traffic light system isn't it it's okay. uh, um, it, something i used in my work years and years ago about i can't remember exactly what it was about but um you know these things are red we don't ever do them these things are amber well you can do them but you've got to be careful these things are green you, you can do as much of those as you like so i think i think even some of the um dietitians use it as well don't they red amber green don't I, red foods you don't eat any at all amber foods yeah that can, sounds familiar green but, food you know you can you can eat vegetables and fruit as much as you like you know so yeah it seems like a a pretty universal system you say red amber green and i i know exactly what you're talking about we have the red yellow green traffic lights here and stuff too so um yeah it's a straightforward yeah good to go slow down stop you know this it's pretty straightforward concept and that's right i like it so let's talk a little bit about what it's like to geocache in England. For somebody like me who's never actually gotten to go over there before, can you kind of tell us what it's like over there, landscape-wise, town-wise? Okay, I, 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 I don't know what sort of wildlife you have in Missouri. Um, but in, in the UK, um, we don't really have any dangerous animals. The only venomous snake we've got, we've probably got enough venom in it, a dog or maybe a child but um and they're, they're very rare in actual fact you really only see them in one type of um sort of sandy grassland environment okay so we've got no real dangerous animals to worry about i've been geocaching in australia uh -huh. where, where you really have to look very very carefully because the snakes over there are you know lethal one one look at you basically and they've gone so uh, but we don't have that problem in the uk um I can't think of any problems at all in the you UK. You don't have like any large cats or, you know, like we have mountain lions and bobcats and things over here. I mean, our biggest uh, land mammal is a badger, which is about the size of a raccoon, I suppose. Um, to be honest, sometimes they get a bit upset and they can get a bit aggressive, but you certainly they're certainly not going to kill you or eat you or anything like that <laughs> like, like that could happen in the woods in missouri um the worst thing about geocaching in the summer here are the nettles and the brambles uh, i'm not sure if you get them in missouri the, the nettles are singing nettles and, and if you if one touches your skin it, it it it'll hurt instantly and then it'll itch for like two days uh and the brambles are thorns Okay. Uh, the nettles, both the nettles and the brambles, grow during the spring months, March, April time. And a cache that someone's placed in in January, um, by the time you get to it in June, um, you, you really need a suit of armor sometimes to get. <laughs> yes. Uh, probably, the, probably the worst thing, you know. Yeah, um, we we have some of those over here too. The you know thorns and yeah. I I don't think I've ever come. I know some areas have stinging nettles i've never come across it our big thing over here is poison ivy oh sure yeah I'm, you yeah. get that and then you get the rash do you guys have things like similar to poison ivy over there no the nettles is the closest the nettles okay yeah. yeah i mean if, if you you know if you trip and fall in a bunch of nettles you're going to have a rash oh that'd yeah? be that'd be rough yeah. and, and you need to get in a cold bath or get under a cold shower for a while and then and then get some calamine on it you know straight away and yeah. you know and then, then that'll, that'll ease the uh, ease the pain, but it, it, it'll certainly itch like mad for a couple of days. So, so you said everything over there is kind of more compact and condensed yeah. versus what we have here. So, do you guys have? It sounds like you have a lot of 
several national parks at least is there a lot of open wilderness land like that or is it a lot of urban these days no i mean scotland's got a lot more open land like that but but again the land is all owned by somebody so right you need to get permission wales has got i mean the you know the, the highest mountain in the uk is, is ben levis in scotland which is four and a half thousand feet high so it, it's not even as high as the mountains i've been up in new england uh, and then i've never been as far as the rockies and they're of course they're a lot higher um uh, wales the highest mountain is snowden that's just less than four thousand feet the highest mountain in england is in the lake district that's three thousand two hundred feet so We've got no huge mountains. Uh, the moorland in the southwest is Dartmoor, Exmoor, Bodmin Moor. And that's fairly open. Although it's a national park, it's open to geocaching. And a, a pal of mine down there has covered um, Dartmoor uh, with, with geocaches. And you, you're going to be walking 16 to 20 miles to find some of his circuits. Okay. It's a very rough country. And it's... It, um, there are no tracks or paths, or very few anyway. So it's going to be rough walking. You need good shoes. Um, and in the winter, oh, it'd be a nightmare. It'll be boggy, muddy, wet, miserable. Do you get much snow over um, there? We, we do get snow. Um, we had the southwest is the warmest part of the UK. Unlike Missouri, you've got a continental climate, so your weather comes you know off the land our weather comes off the ocean right so the southwest is probably the wettest place in the uk okay. but it's, it's also the warmest place so um it, other areas of the uk get far more snow than we do um okay. in fact, scotland uh is i mean they're prepared for snow up there like i've seen in pennsylvania when i've been there when there's, the snow's on the ground that you know they, they've got they can start clearing it they clear the roads straight away. I mean, they get big drifts in Scotland because of the mountains up there. Um, down here, the local authorities will say, well, there's no point in us having snow clearers. It only snows once every other year or something. And even then, it's only like two inches and it, it melts the next day. You know, there's no point in us buying snow clearers. And then every now and again, we get a huge dump of snow and everything stops because nobody can drive in it. So That's, that's kind of like down south here in the States yeah. and Texas and the warmer warmer yeah. states they don't have equipment because it doesn't make sense and then they get yeah. a quarter inch of snow and everything has to shut down because they can't do anything with it and so it, yeah. it sounds like from what i'm hearing you, you guys have all the same changes in area and climate that we do here you're just in a more condensed yeah, no, than we are. We don't, we don't, you know, we don't get a Florida or a California climate here. Um, but there's very little of that, and it, and it varies. And because the the weather comes off the the Atlantic, it, you can get nice mild days in January. Uh, and today, in June, we had a a spell where the temperature didn't drop below about eighty degrees during the daytime. Anyway. Um, at the moment, it's struggling to get up to 65. And, and yesterday, it poured down. There must have been, I don't know, three inches of rain. We we were further west yesterday. We only got back this morning um, in Cornwall, which is right on the end bit of England. Um, okay. We, we were down there. A very interesting place, actually. I'll send you a link to that in a minute. Um, and uh, yesterday, when we had the, the visit to this uh it's called the eden project um I'll, I'll, I'll send you a link it's difficult to describe um and it, it just absolutely poured down all day we both got soaking wet um my wife took a photograph of me i had shorts and, and, and trainers on um and also a big coat as well and i was soaked through you took a photo and you put it on facebook well of course thousand <laughs> have you know commented on it Oh my gosh. Over there in England, do you see a lot of traditional caches are are big in a lot of areas, but like I know in Australia there's a ton of geo arch in some areas and certain areas here you'll find a lot more puzzle caches versus a lot more multi caches. Do you see like a common theme across caches 
there? I I think we've we've got a, a quite a good mix all over the UK. Okay. There's plenty of GUR if you want to look at it. In fact, I had some GUR only up the road from here, only five miles away, um, and it was in a low lying area every which floods every winter, and I really got fed up with replacing them every time, and I. I put a warning on Facebook to say, I'm going to archive this. If you want to go find it, go find it now before I archive it. Uh, and literally, I archived it about a month ago because the maintenance the maintenance bill was getting too big, never mind anything else. But I don't, I, I rarely put out any, any micros. I, I... Do you guys, I'm not sure how your street lamps are over there, if they've got the skirt that lifts up. No, they don't have the skirts. No. I've seen, I've, I've uh, I've found caches in uh, Pennsylvania and in Florida. It's the only two states I've found caches in, and I've seen the skirts. However, when I was in, uh, I, I did a couple of years working in Qatar, and um, the, the lampposts there must have come from the US because they always skirts there too. So okay, I know what you mean. Okay, so when you have like a a park and grab, a quick stop and grab over there, what? type of location is it is it more like a guardrail or uh, street signs mostly street signs okay yeah. that's interesting yeah. the, the magnetic on a street sign somewhere for okay. the, the parking lives um there are some series that generally involve micros there's a a, a nationwide series uh that was started some while ago now and are now numbered so if you want to uh put a, um, a micro near a church uh, and bear in mind we've got some very old churches in the UK um, normally done as a multi so you need to visit the church get some information some numbers some dates from gravestones or maybe or so, you know something like that okay uh, then find the, the final you're not allowed to put the container actually in the church grounds so you're going to find somewhere just just off there's about I don't know what they're up to now, probably 15 or 16,000. I'd have to check on that, um, of those all over the place. Wow. Um, there's another series with village halls. And there's another series which I don't entirely agree with uh, in supermarkets. Um, supermarkets? Yeah, in, 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 the, in the parking lots of supermarkets. Okay. Again, they're going to be the tiny little ones most of the time. Interesting. Kind of sounds a lot like our... Uh lamppost caches they're all in yeah, yeah, parking yeah. lots you know yeah I, I, we, we, I mean we do have metal lampposts but um there's, there's no skirt so yeah you it, don't have the skirt to hide it under like. it'd be obvious if, if somebody uh, caught... <laughs> probably yeah. wouldn't survive very long with the, no. the elements and everything oh. what would you say makes geocaching unique there i, I think I think it's the availability of geocaching to everyone. I've got my own little niche, as I said earlier. I, I sit and solve and set puzzles. Um, I don't really want to be walking around a city finding tiny little caches in front of a big audience. That's the other thing I object to as well. Um, however, I'm quite happy if people want to do that. So I think geocaching in the UK, it's it's one size fits all, really. There's, there's something for everybody. Um, and certainly there's uh there are caches who are setting caches in the cities for wheelchair users which is something obviously they, they wouldn't be able to get out in the country where i go but uh and i i live under a hill which is a an iron age hill fort and i had to get permission from the local council who who uh, manage that uh, and i put a series up there which has been well received and it's been going since 2010. Oh. Um, I'm actually leaving the area and, and moving somewhere else in the south of England. Um, so I've actually uh, got a power to adopt all those off me, but it's it's brilliant up there. I mean, it's like I say that the, the hill was an Iron Age hill fort with the, the tribes long before the Romans got here. So, Wow. Um, I mean, our local church is 13th century. Um, my house was built in 1870, and that's before a lot of US history. So Yeah, there's... You guys have a lot more history over there yeah. in areas than we do have in some areas here. Do you have any advice for somebody who comes from a different country 
to visit over there in geocache no you, uh, the only advice is enjoy yourself that there, there are whatever you want to do if you want to stay in towns you'll be able to do that especially with the rise of adventure labs as well which i don't particularly like but i can see other people would um uh, yeah with the rise of adventure labs um uh, and micros and nano caches all over the cities if you want to stay in the cities you can if you want to go to one of the big national parks and walk 20 miles across a park across some rough terrain if that's what you like doing there will be geocaches to find on the way it, it's it's you know many things to many people in the uk uh, and i'm quite pleased about that i'm i'm quite happy to support that uh, e even though it, it's not something or some of it is not not something i like Anyway, if you're thinking of coming to the UK, um, the GAGB 20th anniversary event is in the Midlands on the 30th of September. You'd be welcome to come and join Okay. Do you guys, you know, you have such a large, well, uh, I guess the, the way to phrase it is, you know, you have that multi-country association essentially with all you know scotland and wells and everything do you guys get any membership outside of the uk none that i know about i could ask that question um of the chairman he keeps a record of that um certainly during the summer there we get plenty of caches from germany and the netherlands uh france belgium come over and geocache in the uk and i've geocached in france and belgium and Holland and Germany myself so you know there's, there's a, a fair interchange in Europe even though technically we're not part of the European uh, Union anymore that uh, was interesting but yes. uh, there's, there's still a you know apart from the four nations in the UK uh, we, we certainly get a lot over from uh, the near continent and it's it's fairly easy to cross over to the to the sure. there's a tunnel yeah right what's it is it called the channel or what is it called yeah people yeah people call it the, i think when they started they called it the channel it's not a word that's in use much now so it's just just a channel tunnel basically um okay there's still plenty of um ferries as well i mean the the, the closest ferry crossing is only a couple of hours on a ferry so um i can get to Spain on a ferry not far from where I live. That's uh, almost a twenty-four hour boat oh, trip. Wow. But I can get to northern Spain from Plymouth, which is not far from here. So, so there is a lot of opportunity to cross over to, really? to other countries really? in Europe and and really? geocache or yeah. whatever. Yeah, I mean, you know, half, you, you're a long way from Canada or Mexico, aren't you? So, yes, I am. <laughs> Smack dab in the middle of the country, just about. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 it's it's a it's a bit of a, a bit of a go to get to to Mexico or Canada from from where we're at. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're your nearest neighbors, but they're not yeah. near at all. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's doable. People do it, but yeah, it's it's a it's a long drive. I mean, you've got to be a fair way from the coast as well. I mean, you're in Missouri. I'm not oh quite yeah, sure. where's your nearest coast? Alabama or somewhere? I guess. I think the nearest coast would actually be the like the Gulf of Mexico down there by yeah. by Texas and all there down there would be the closest and then you know you got the ocean not too far from that but yeah that's we're we're not really near anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> we got trees and cornfields. <laughs> yeah yeah I understand yeah yeah uh yeah that's yeah, uh, interesting. Um yeah, you know, I've cashed in, in quite a few, but there's a pal of mine, um, and I'm not sure how many countries he's in. I, I think there's 140 countries in the United Nations, and he's probably cashed in about 100 of them, I think. He's really made a, an effort to get out there and, and do it. And he's currently in New Zealand, so. Wow. Still cashing. And he's been going since... 2003 so he's been catching 20 years now since so. i told you as well um way back when you first got in contact i've just spent two years in Qatar, um and we were geocaching in the desert there and that's a different experience so, so. i can imagine 
the desert being quite different. Yeah, uh, I, I used to take a, a a young guy, a twelve-year-old, out with me. In the, I mean, there's, there wasn't much else to do there. The weekends were, were Friday, Saturday, um, and on a Friday or a Saturday, there wasn't much else to do apart from go for a drive in the desert. And we all had big four-wheel drives. I had a four and a half liter Explorer, an American car, over there. Um, okay, and that was good in the desert. Um, but the, the the lad used to say to me, "Look at the hint. What's the hint?" And I'm saying, "There's no point in looking at the hint. It's going to say under a rock." There isn't <laughs> behind a, a container. Um, <laughs> away from any kind of plastic out there, it degrades in about a year. So if you put one of those plastic tip-top containers out there, you go back in a year and it'd be dust. So we tended to use glass and metal most of the time out there. So. Oh, really? Glass? Yeah. What yeah. I mean, what, what's what's glass made of? Sand. Yeah, sand. But I haven't uh, come across any glass containers before. Yeah. I mean, coffee jars, stuff like that. Yeah. And other little sort of food-type jars. And, um, to, to your guess. And that, that was great fun. And I, I, did a, I did a geo art series there as well, uh, based around the letter Q, which is still oh. there. If you look at the map of Qatar, you'll still see a, a big leather cube geo art, which is mine. Nice. It's it's amazing how it's the exact same game, but depending on the climate and the region you're in, how things can vary. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, in the UK, I've certainly been out in the snow geocaching. And I've been out in 35 degrees. Geocache, sorry, 35. What's that? Um, 90 odd to oh, you. Yeah, you're in Celsius. Yeah. <laughs> you say yeah, I have to remember to convert whenever I talk to anyone. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, you know, way, way over 90. As I've, I've done both extremes. Uh, in in the desert, um, I've got a, a, an image of it somewhere. I took a pic of the, um, of the temperature gauge on the car. And it was reading 53. What's that about 140, something like that? So, uh, yeah, something. Yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to do the math to convert yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, con, yeah, con couldn't cope. Uh, wow. Yeah, getting in the, getting in back in the, uh, the Ford, uh, driving a couple of miles, and the aircon just couldn't cope with the temperature outside. Wow. That's wild. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. But interesting. Diff again, different sort of caching again. Yeah. Um, you really do need um, a good GPSR out there um, because there's no landmarks. It's just sand and sand dunes and rocks, you know? Yeah. And we had some favourite places to go. You could get to what they used to call the Inland Sea, which is on the border with Saudi Arabia. Okay. And uh, we could go and swim down there. It's a warm, warm, nice warm sea. The problem with that is your mobile phone then used to pick up all the Saudi Arabian um, telecoms providers and your, your phone would go mad pinging for these things, you know, log on to us, log on to us from the because oh. you were that close to the border. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought about that. Yeah. Driving up and down sand dunes. <laughs> when I got back from Cutter. Um, I just bought a saloon car when I got back. And within about nine months, I thought, no, I need another off-road vehicle. So I bought a Japanese one first, uh, a Mitsubishi. And I've had a couple of um, Jeeps since then, you know, US ones that you can still, you still get them over here with with a right-hand drive rather than a left-hand drive. So Yeah, it's that... I Like, when I try to think about going to another country and driving opposite when you've been over here to pennsylvania was that a struggle for you well no because the rest of europe's the wrong way around for me oh okay i don't have to go very far you know to be to be driving on the um the right hand side of the road rather than the left hand side okay and i, I you know if you take a uk vehicle over to france belgium netherlands whatever you you then in the wrong place to see, really, because you're on the you're on the curbside, aren't you? Driving along, and you have to get your passenger to say, "What's coming the other way? I can't see." You know, so. and, and toll booths are funny too, because obviously toll booths are designed for the country that you're in. 
So if you're in a, a UK oh. plant and there's a toll booth and you're on your own, you've got to take your belt off, shuffle over on the seat, give the guys money, and then shuffle back on again and drive off. I don't think I would have ever thought about that. Oh, this happens to me several times. <laughs> Obviously, every time I've driven in the US, I've been in a, in a rental there or one of my pal's cars or something like that. So it, the same thing doesn't apply. But, you know, if, you, if you've gone either through the tunnel or on a ferry over to France and the rest of Europe, of course, you're on the wrong side. There's, there's only four countries in Europe drive on the left. That's the UK, Ireland, Cyprus and Malta. All the others drive on the right. Okay, I didn't realize that. Wow. Some other big countries drive on the right too. Japan, start with. India. Yeah. South Africa. Australia. will drive on the right. Sorry, on the left. Yeah, things you don't think about when you're no. not there. Well, I've, I've, I've never been to Japan, but I've driven in Australia and South Africa, and I've driven in India as well. So it's been but long before I was geocaching. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on here today and, and talking with me and, and talking about GAGB and, and geocaching over there in the UK. It's been a lot of fun and very interesting. So I appreciate your time with this. I, I mean, it, it was nice of you to invite us and um, the, the rest of us had a go and I've got sort of media experience Um so they said, well, you could do that, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> You've been listening to Geocache Adventures with me, Shadow Dragon One. If you'd like to get in touch, you can reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, or go to geocacheadventures.org and you can find the information on the contact page. Theme music is by The Travel Bugs. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Have you heard of FTF Magazine? It's the magazine for geocachers. It is full of articles and pictures all submitted by geocachers just like you. I'm a subscriber myself and I love it. My favorite part is the little snippets on the edges of the articles on all the different pages. Those are my favorites. Just go to ftfgeo.com to check them out and tell them Shadow Dragon 1 sent you.